Welcome again to the Rolling Ball Podcast, the second of the week. Only here because Bondi, once again, actually it's probably not Bondi's fault, but let's blame him anyway. The Tigers have decided to announce big news basically the day after we release our podcast. The last time we did this, Elliot, was when it was announced, I think reasonably out of the blue actually, that Ellis Genge was going to be leaving for Bristol and that video had emerged. I think that was more of a rage emergency podcast. This is an emergency podcast more out of happiness i would suggest yeah absolutely uh the first we are six weeks into the new year so far we have had new sign-ins uh announced after we've pressed record we've had uh, a 13 million cash injection um uh, after we've um published a podcast and now we have a new head coach um announced after we press record it's starting to feel this is a bit of a pattern uh, leicester tigers are the only club in the land where the interesting stuff happens not at the weekend, but on a Wednesday. <laughs> Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Yeah, Saturday, and maybe, fir- <laughs> and maybe a Thursday. It's like the reverse, it's like the reverse Craig David. <laughs> exactly. It's just like kind of Saturdays, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they played some rugby. They won. They lost. Whatever. Wednesday, what crazy shit's happening now? And that's where you need to be. And that's where Adam Whitty has cunningly positioned himself with the evil corporation that is the British broadcasting variety. Anyhow, I'm not bitter at all. Not bitter at all. Let's talk about the big news today. Dan McKellar, assistant coach for the Wallabies, the first one to bite the dust under Eddie, uh, has already taken place. But, of course, it's because he is going to be the new Leicester Tigers head coach. And great news, he will be starting uh, on the 1st of July, ahead of a very, very long pre-season due to the World Cup, Leicester Tigers will not be starting, I think, until October the 14th or some date around then. Um, Elliot, what's your initial take on this news? How does it grab you? Are you excited? Are you underwhelmed? There's been a sort of a various shades of reaction thrown around by a number of fans. No, sure. So um, Charles Richardson um, of The Telegraph two weeks ago first linked us with Dan McKellar. Uh, that's the first time anyone has actually put us in touch with him um, at the time two weeks ago it's the same article as Razzy uh, was linked to us uh, which is amazing how that's how it's all turned out but actually buried in the detail is our new head coach um, so I, I didn't recognize the name straight away I've gone away at the time and we'll do what we always do is you google and you read different um, articles and you read different things and you start to get a bit of a picture of who and what um, he is. And just from my, and this is just from 15, 20 minutes, knocking him out on the internet, you start to get a picture that he's a bit of a line out and mall enthusiast. Um, and in this few more bits and comes out where he's got, then over the last couple of weeks, more articles get linked um, to him. And again, there's a few more stories that come out about him where Steve sounded him out for advice and um, how much he looks over, like Steve looked up to him as in terms of running a line out and running a, a, a rolling mall. So actually, when you actually come to it, after doing all that research, you end up going, well, I think this could be quite an interesting fit. There's enough going for him to make it um, to make it work and to make it quite exciting. And then, um, obviously, he got announced yesterday. I was quite excited because actually, again, it's that sort of continuity of all the good stuff we've been doing over the last two or three years under Steve. And suddenly you have someone coming in who um, looks and feels and sounds like the Australian, I know the club aren't wanting to frame it this way, and I understand the club do not want it to be portrayed like this, but he is the Australian version of Steve in my book. And, and I think to me, that's a, a really good positive step forward 
in terms of what we're looking for. And I think the club should be commended of how we've got to this process, really. I completely agree. I think the process from the email that Andrea sent out to all the season ticket holders, which you were kind enough to forward on to me as I'm not a season ticket holder because I live in Bristol. I only had the, I'm only a super member. So I pay 80 quid for a beanie is uh, effectively my membership at the moment. But you forwarded me the email and I thought it was uh, really interesting. And she really honed in on the process, which Steve was originally a part of, obviously, and probably I suspect maybe had an accelerated part of, and I think she hinted had an accelerated part of during those negotiations was to say, right, okay, Steve, we know you're going. That's going to be signed off in a few, in a week or so. You need to crack on with this shortlist and give us a hand. And what was interesting was it had 40 candidates. It was based very heavily on data. As you've said before, they went in with a clear idea on what they wanted. It was whittled down to a shortlist. Steve had obviously put in his thoughts on the members of that shortlist. And then from that, the club has undertaken interviews, extensive interviews, as we know, with a number of players. I think we're probably at liberty to say now that we that we know that they'd spoken to Gregor, uh, Gregor Townsend. We know they'd spoken to Checker. And we know that most of the parties they spoke to were interested and they were within, because of the money that the club had from the RFU settlement, they were within the the game of the club to go and get. Now, I think first and foremost, you'd agree with me, Elliot, I don't think the club, we often joke about the Matt O'Connor scenario where the worldwide search came up with a number of candidates and then the board picked who they wanted anyway, who wasn't on the shortlist. Um, This is very different and we need to commend the club on the face of it for what looks like a really proper and thorough process. Yes, I mean, the Matt O'Connor was, I think he phoned Peter Tom and said, I'm free. And Peter Tom went, great, we'll sack the complete... <laughs> All that work we've just done, yeah, that's going in the bin. See you later. No, what was Top. it? They, they handed the report at the end. They said, uh, none of these guys have premiership experience. And they said, no, they've got to have premiership experience. Well, the only three blokes, Matt O'Connor then. Oh, him. Yes, him. <laughs> unbelievable. Absolutely ridiculous. unbelievable. No, look, I think in terms of this, the process, there is no... Um, easy way of getting a head coach every appointment of a head coach comes with risk and even if you look through all the candidates that we've been talking about on previous podcasts and stuff like that all of them had a certain question mark over them for example Michael Checker for example would have come after the World Cup so who's is he going to when's he going to start how's it going to work who's his team going to be when do they start how is he going to split his time you know those are the bits and pieces there is no easy way of doing it and this is um a, there is no risk-free appointment however the club have actually i think have gone about this in a way to actually try and minimize um risk and actually come through with a, a name that actually ticks as many boxes as we can and i think with dan mckelly you get someone who ticks as many boxes as as what we're looking for in terms of we've gone in with an objective of who we want to get and we've used the data to get there and then we've done the human side of the interviews and we've thrown a load of scenarios and different bits and pieces and we've got comfortable and understand that who our man is ticks all of or as many of the boxes as what we can get to and for that I think actually the process is actually really really good because you've you've actually got someone who's forward orientated likes the line outs likes the rolling mall understands that there needs to be a balance between good forward play and good back play wants to understand from the sense things understands the importance of the academy and from previous um, interviews that he's done and as you've um, sent to me uh, and you can expand on as well it's big on club culture so actually by the end of it you come out of it going even if this doesn't work right and there is 
this is a very real possibility that coaches can be great and they can be shit and they should be and sometimes they're shit and you can't understand why because they tick all the right boxes but the process has been i think has been fascinating and i think it's been really detailed and i think you can see with dan mckellar that we have done our homework and he is it feels a good fit and it just to finish up on this is that my adage around if you sign a new player look at what the previous um, club's fans are saying with Dan McKellar, all the Australian media and Australian fans are saying um, really good move for Dan McKellar and also a good fit for Leicester. And that's a good, to me, that's a really good sign. Exactly. And I think a lot of people accept that he was going to be the new Wallabies coach until Eddie Jones sort of came in and basically took the reins till 2027. He was very much being groomed, I think, possibly to take off, uh, over after the World Cup. So that's how highly regarded he was. But I think he realises, obviously perhaps the pathway he was on may have been altered somewhat. So he's now got, let's just say at least, I would suggest, four years at the club. I think he's made no secret that his objective, his ultimate goal, is to coach Australia, and good luck to him. And I hope, I will always say this about Steve Borthwick, if him coming to us, leaving us halfway through a season, meant that he turned us around from where we were at and we won the Premiership, um, then I would take that every day of the week and twice on a Sunday. Now, I, I think just on your point about him being the Australian Steve Borthwick, I think it's important to express that obviously there are subtle differences. He has that, um, people that don't know, he was the head coach of the Brumbies uh, for four years. Now, the Brumbies, if you watch a bit of Super Rugby, you will know for having the most devastating rolling ball and mall attack, like attack based off malls in the league. And what they did with that was quite unique for Australian sides I would suggest Australian sides often play as we would traditionally expect a little bit fast a little bit loose very dangerous and occasionally crap but the Brumbies were tight they were very strong they played in an almost Leicester way and he took them with a 61% win ratio I believe and bearing in mind that for some of that they're playing the New Zealand sides who are vastly superior to them in every way in terms of personnel that is not something to be sniffed at and I think he took them to the Super Rugby Pacific semi-final, the only Australian side to even get to the knockout. So that was pretty impressive. And he won Super Rugby Australia uh, with the Brumbies as well. So, I mean, look, the guy <laughs> the guy knows what he's doing, and I don't think he is necessarily going to be the Australian Steve Borthwick, although I understand it, but I think that he's going to be a continuation of what Steve has built, and hopefully he'll be able to build and develop on it. Um, just very quickly on the culture point that you point out, the culture in the academy thing, when I've watched his interviews, is what really excites me. He is really, really big on developing players from within, about being able to represent Leicester in the way that we as fans know and feel about the club. And it looks like he wants to be embedded in on that, which I think is really, really exciting. And the culture, which I think to some people, and I can understand why, is quite a wishy-washy, sentimental thing. But actually, it's corporate you, speak, isn't it? Yeah, corporate. It's a bit yeah, and it definitely is kind of like in my team when it's basic, you know, like when you're in the legal world or whatever it is. It's like, no, it's just, just about kind of like getting a good case, doing a good job and, you know, billing a good amount of money. But with the rugby side, when actually emotion does play a big factor in it on the game day and actually your application throughout uh, the training week plays such a massive part in what you produce at the end of the week. Culture is enormous, absolutely huge. And Steve changed that. Like You only have to look back to the first, was it his first week when he sent a group home, the famous story. And we still want to find out who was in that group and find out if any of them turned it around and recovered or if they were all sent to the Tom Hardwick school of, 
<laughs> never to be seen again. Uh, we'll never know. But if Mikel has got the same approach, then I think, or well, you know, I'm all for it. Just one final point. I think that I can fully understand some people being, I would suggest, underwhelmed when you've compared, which I think is natural. And I think even myself, when I first heard the name Mikela and you compare it to Cheka uh, and Cotter and Townsend, who are all big, established international coaches with proven pedigree as head coaches of international uh, sides with success there as well, you might think, oh, Mikela, you know, yeah, right, he's been head coach of the Brummies, yeah, he's assistant coach of the Wallabies, but I mean, he's not, you know, he's tier two compared to those guys who are tier one. And I do get that. But if anything, it's actually slightly more reassuring because it means the club hasn't just gone for a big name. They've actually looked at the stats, looked at the data, they've interviewed, they've listened. It would be very easy for the club just to throw a bit of money at this. So there's a big name. That should placate the fans. Instead, they've looked at who is going to be the best option to give us success. They've picked a name that perhaps none of us would have picked out at the start of the season. And I think that's really exciting. I think it's also nice. You spoke about this point about um, you know, he's ambitious. I would rather have a coach on the way up rather than have a coach who's on the way down or feels like they're doing us a favour yeah. in terms yeah. of being here. Because I don't think that's healthy. I'd, you know, I would quite happily have a structure or have a club, well, a board level strategy that says, you know what, we'll go World Cup to World Cup and pick out young, exciting, dynamic, ambitious coaches that will take us for a World Cup cycle. And at the end of that cycle, they leave to go to an international job. So be it, because we'll start the process again. And I, I wouldn't have an issue with that because I think that actually gets the best out of um, the players. And it means you get fresh thinking coming through. You get, you're always going to get exciting, innovative coaching. It's a really coaching. good point because you've got everyone on the same page about wanting to improve and, and everyone's, you know, trying to build towards making the best of themselves for that World Cup cycle. Yeah. And I think, I, to me, if it feels this is where, if you look at Steve being appointed and he now sit with Dan McKellar, it feels to me that maybe this is a bit of a strategy that's been set out four years ago about what we want our head coaches to look like. And if that is the strategy, I'm all for it. And it's certainly a strategy that I think can buy into it really, really well. Because what you know, what the objectives are is to bring as, as best level coaching we can to this group of players. Because makes no mistake about it, this is our golden generation. You know, this is a really talented group of players we've got, and you want someone to come in and improve on, on an individual level so each player gets better and gets the best out of their ability, but also brings it through into a collective, into a team example, where he can put together a game plan and a match strategy that means that the team can flourish overall as well. And the lesson after Steve is that he was doing that. And he, if you look at our coaching group for the last three, four years, it's international quality. You know, it is, you know, as we've seen, <laughs> they've all gone to England. And I think with Dan McKellar, I think you get a, a game a feel for that where you've had someone with head coach experience previously has gone, has been considered good enough to coach at international level and has then come to us. And, you know, it is a continuation of, of that. And I think that is a really exciting thing to me. Um, I just got to do a quick shout out to um, Rob Watts, who sent me a, um, a tweet, uh, sent me a message earlier with some stats about Dan McKellar, about when he first came over um, with Australia. So I'd like to repeat them now just to, to with a couple of stats here, which I think is really um interesting in terms of this is from august 2021 so he'd only just been in with the australian group for a few months 
but his impact is is striking. It's very quick. Um, in August of 2021, they were converting 28.7% of their lineouts in the opponent's 22 to points. To put that into context, in 2020, before McKellar, it was at 3.4%. So that's a pretty big, that's a pretty, that's wow. a pretty stark and interesting mm. that that alone as a um, and and that shows it. I think if you look at the Wallabies over the last year, like they were very much in a trough before, and they have had an insane injury list to a point where they were putting out a second team and still beating Wales in admittedly hilarious circumstances mm. um, in Cardiff. It, their results, I think they only won four out of 13 tests and people say, oh, you know, that's not great. It, if you sort of scratch beneath the surface on that, the improvement they have shown is incredible to the point they have a pack that can compete with everyone. In fact, they've got on top of other sides in the scrum. They regularly dominate the line out. They are usually, sometimes the connection between the forwards and backs always found to be a little bit clunky. But again, that's because having to change the halfbacks every other game because of injury. Uh, to a point, you know, they had to coax Quade Cooper out of retirement, who was excellent, actually, by the way, and bring up, bring back Bernard Foley. Where's he been? And they should have beaten the All Blacks in New Zealand. They should have done if Bernard Foley listened to the referee and, you know, took a tap and booted it out. Uh, and instead, he got caught wasting time. So, what he did with the Wallabies, or he helped to do with the Wallabies, because obviously that was Rennie as well, um, should not be overlooked. Now, one of the things that is a question mark and remains a big question mark, you've got all these positives about him, is the fact he hasn't got any European coaching experience. It's a long old season up in Europe. It's not this like fun 18 game um, uh, or 17 week season that they have in Super Rugby. It's you know basically a three quarters of the year slog. That and it's cold here. In Europe. It's, and cold it's cold here. And it's and and for you know for, yeah, 60 percent of the time it's fucking miserable. Um, that's going to be a lesson for it. That's yeah, he will know. That's a learning curve for him. But I think it it perhaps places also importance and perhaps further excitement on the coaches he's going to bring him under him. Uh, now, we don't have any idea on who those will be. Well, I don't, unless you've had some whispers over the last sort of couple of hours or so. But to the point where I would suggest that it watch this space still, because I think that that is going to be almost as important uh, as the appointment of McKellar himself. Yeah, me and you, I, I think... I don't want to speak on your behalf, I guess, but over the sort of last three or four weeks, both of us have got fairly comfortable about who our next ho- head coach is going to be because you look at all the names that have been thrown around over the short list we've sort of narrowed it down to over the last three or four weeks. All of us, both of us have gone, we would be happy with all of them. The question I've been, me and you have both been more interested in is playing the, filling the gaps of who's going to be left behind, mm. who's going to go, who's going to, uh, going to be needed, who, what would that look like? And so on and so forth, and you said that to me is now almost as exciting to see, you know, what's going to happen next. And I think there is room for, you know, as as a priority at least. I think let's say an attack coach, I think it's fair to say, mm-hmm. is pretty much um, a one priority, and and then an S and C coach. So yeah. there's those are two there, and depending on what happens with Tom Harrison, he may need to get a scrum coach. So there's two or three. Um, positions that need to be filled on day one for the 1st of July. I'd be really happy with Brett continuing in role if, if Dan feels that way. And Matty Everard, after after a shaky start, after mm. the last two or three weeks, I think he's putting himself into contention again for, for I'd be more than happy and me feel very, very comfortable for, with him looking after the defence. So there, to me, it's those first three I've mentioned as a priority to have a look for. I think McKellar's main roles have been forwards and defence. 
which is what Leicester built their success on last season and what traditionally we've done, you know, forwards and defence. So that's where McKellar's focused on. So it would be interesting to know whether he, he says, look, actually, because I've got such an overarching view, I still want to have a forwards lieutenant coach. Might be Brett Deacon. He has worked with Jeff Parling in the Australian Rugby Union setup. That might be quite an interesting one. I think potentially Jeff Parling is a student, McKellar is the master there. That might be quite an interesting um, strategy to take. We'll see what happens there. Then you've also obviously got, as you say, the attack coach, the SNC coach, defence coach positions that are still, I suppose, you know, you've got Matt Smith looking after the attack and uh, with Wigglesworth at the moment as well. Guys, you can do a job, but you still feel that they've got more learning to do and they'd probably benefit from getting in some outside experience on that. So I suppose watch this space. Anyway, guys, um, well, I'll say to you, Elliot, first. Excited? Yes? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I think it's a, um, a really good... Um, acquisition and I'm excited to see um, and get going I think actually as well we should mention brilliant phase going to be here for the 1st of July I cannot understand we can't really stress how important that is so for important our, like for our prospects next year and I think that's amazing I also think it's great that him and his whole family are coming over and I think that's a real big sign of the commitment to the club and to the job and it also um, allows him to get spend the next three or four months because July will come around pretty quickly and it means he can be settled and he can start getting into the way of life around Leicester pretty quickly. And it means he can actually maybe start having little things like meeting the players and actually watching the games. Watching the games, going to the games, getting a feel of the same. I I wouldn't be surprised if he pops out to training every now and again. I'm sure that he'll be at arm's length and not wanting to impede on Wigglesworth. But he'll be perhaps making notes, may I suggest. And well, I think that, it's brilliant that, for the club. That gives him a massive head start going in. Well, I think it's great because one, he can analyse all the games at his own leisure and he can start working out what he wants to do and working out the players, what's, what he wants to do and around that. But also, I think, and I know the players will do this anyway, but one of the questions about Wiggy going early and Alec going early was, oh, that, there might be a drop-off, you know, one or 2% drop-off because we know our head coach is going. Well, now we know the new head coach is going to be there. You know, that get, focus get him on mind. the sideline with a clipboard straight away. Well, it does focus the mind a little bit when you know that if you, especially for the boys that, you know, we're not losing a lot of players for next season. You know, we're only losing four or five boys as such. And they're the, they are the fringe players. It focuses the mind so much, in, so much in terms of if you're running out to play going, I can't drop off. And I, I know they wouldn't anyway, because they are a good bunch. But, it's that one or two percent that may have gone missing with Wiggy, I think he's now been restored with Dan McKellar being announced. And especially if he starts getting, especially if he's in the country next week, for example, going, I'm watching you boys. I'm watching. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice positive start if that's the attitude he adopts. But no, I know exactly what you mean. And I think from a positive side, I think that is a really, really good point. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for listening. Again, we're sorry we're late. We're sorry that you've probably listened to lots of other podcasts talking about it. Blame Lesser Tigers in particular. Blame Bombay. Uh, and we'll see you next week.